I failed to mention it during our uh, announcement time today, but I believe you heard it in our prayers that today is Trinity Sunday. And we're going to be talking about this here today, and I want us to be thinking about how important the Trinity is. Let us pray. O God and our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It is especially fitting that this day is Trinity Sunday. This is the Sunday that the church sets aside to instruct us in the Trinity. Many Christians ignore the doctrine of the Trinity. This is in part because the Trinity is a mystery that we cannot comprehend, although the teaching of the Trinity is clearly over the whole Bible. The doctrine of the one, the tri- excuse me, the doctrine of one triune God who is three distinct persons is not understandable in our minds. However, we must embrace what the Trinity means. The Trinity teaches us about what true and perfect love is. Why is it fitting for us today? In light of recent events in the life of this church and this Christian community around us, we are able to draw both comfort and hope because we learn in the Trinity the faithful love and joy of our God. And this instructs us in how to live. Here today we're going to begin our instruction on the Trinity out of Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, and this word faith here is a conjunction to chapter 4 in the instruction that Abraham believed God and his promises was accounted to him righteousness. We too must believe that God keeps his promises. We go on, so therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. I want to point out a couple of things here in this passage, just as an introduction, that helps us understand why this is important and relevant to us right now. Again, it says this, that after that, I'm I'm just going to read again just a little bit to just put it in context and break it down. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now that is trouble and afflicted with burdens, knowing that this kind of tribulation produces perseverance, that is, enduring 
patience, which causes a steadfastness. And this perseverance, character. This word character here in the Greek means proof, tried and found worthy. And this character, hope, a joyful and confident expectation. That's what hope means when you see it in the scriptures, a joyful and confident expectation. With that in mind, if we look at verse 5 and it says, Now hope does not disappoint, it is because it is a joyful and confident expectation. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Here in Romans 5, we are comforted by God's peace provided by Jesus the Son and poured out in our hearts for days such as we find ourselves in. We stand, it says. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To what end? That we may glory in tribulations because it produces perseverance, character, and hope. This is all worked in our lives by the living triune God. But how does the Trinity instruct us to live? We need to understand the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are, in fact, three persons but one God. They have, from the beginning of all time in creation, been in a loving relationship, serving and glorifying one another. Let us consider the doctrine of the, of the Trinity from a couple of perspectives, beginning in Genesis chapter 1. I don't know, I just want to pause here. Have you guys noticed how much in the last season here, the church season from Advent all the way to Pentecost, how we've gone back to Genesis chapter 1. I mean, it's almost every sermon. So you might be getting tired of it, but people of God, if we don't get the first three chapters of Genesis right, the first three chapters of God's Word right, then we, and we don't get the last three chapters of the Bible and Revelation right, everything else in between is confusing. We need to look and understand how important Genesis is. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So we see that God created, and that the Spirit was there. And when God said, let there be light, he wasn't creating light right there. He was doing what we know from God's word, that Jesus is light. He is there. We go further down in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and it says this, Then God said, Let us, that is a plural, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I want to just point something out here. And I'm not a scientist, but I, I want to say this to you all. The longer that we have the ability to look at things from a smaller and smaller and smaller area using microscopes and all kinds of other equipment, we recognize how much life there is all the way down and how small it gets. And so I, I think it is important for us to recognize that when he talks about taking dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth, it is about taking dominion over all of creation. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I mean it is a grand scale. It isn't just about the creatures that we can see. Let us also consider that God uses the scriptures to see that God is three persons and was present in the creation. We heard that a little bit already, but we see in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and here it is, folks, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We also see from our reading in, in the Old Testament today in Proverbs chapter 8, I want us to read this thinking about how wisdom is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit. The Lord possessed me, that is wisdom, at the beginning of His way. Before His works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from beginning, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth, while as yet He had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when He prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, and when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. Now listen to this. And I was his delight. Who was his delight? The Spirit was the delight of God the Father. Rejoicing. So the Spirit is rejoicing always before Him. And rejoicing how? Rejoicing in His inhabited world. And listen, this is important. And my delight, the Spirit's delight, was with the sons of men. We see that the Spirit was eternally the delight of God the Father, and that the Spirit was rejoicing in the Father's inhabited world. Notice the Spirit's delight is with the sons of men. This is a spectacular insight. Through the triune God, life was given to the world, and all creation was made and given to His image bearers to glorify God by being fruitful and multiplying and taking dominion over His creation. The Spirit 
delights with the sons of men and the task given to all people. This brings value to every life. This clearly defines what we have been created for. We are not aimless, purposeless creatures, here by chance, by an impersonal force. <coughs> Excuse me. God created us to fill all the earth with God's glory. Again, the triune God created us to fill all the earth with God's glory. His design is for this to be done through his image bearers. That man by his spirit may glorify and beautify and bring the world to fullness of life. This helps us to understand what creation is for and what we have been created for as well. God is not a solitary, impersonal force. He is a relational being and a personal God. The ideas of personhood and personalities take on meaning here that it never had in pagan cultures. We know that God, by virtue of the relationship or relationships that he sustains within himself, that relationships are what God is about. God has existed eternally as a society of persons who live in communion with one another within himself. The relationships he sustains within the Godhead that exists in the persons of the Godhead as revealed in the scriptures enable us to understand what personal relationships mean and how they are to work. There is an intimate fellowship in love that exists without any loss of distinction, distinctive persons of the Godhead. Now, I'm, I'm talking through this, and I hope that you're seeing this a little bit here. What, what I'm trying to convey to you is that the teachings of Scripture tell us that the triune God exists, one God, three persons, there are individual per persons, individual personalities, and how distinctively the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work out. And they love and serve and glorify one another. And this teaches us not only the glory of God, but then how we should be thinking and relating to God and to others. There is perfect unity and yet distinctive personhood between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because we are made in the image of God, we too understand that we are created as distinct individuals that will not be annihilated by union with God or any other, assuming our relationships are ordered correctly. Now I'm going to pause right there by saying, how do we know that our relationships are ordered correctly? Well, we need to submit ourselves to God's word. We need to know that we are, first of all, in submission, humbly, submission, humble, humble submission. So, mm. Be in submission to God Almighty. Repent of your sins. And that also helps us understand how we are to relate to one another. We need to be humble. 
I may be your pastor, but I'm a sinner saved by grace as well. In your relationships with your husband and your wife and your children, we learn that we must be humble towards them. When we sin against them, repent, seek restoration of relationships. So order yourself first to God and then to one another. If you sin against someone, confess your sins to God, then go and confess to the ones to whom you have sinned against. This is how we order our lives correctly in this way. Salvation, this is important too, salvation is not bland unanimity. In other words, this idea that, that, you know, we we lose our distinctiveness because we are married. No, you still have... You know, in my case, there's still a man and a woman. There's still Dan and Rachel. But by the covenant mercies of God, we're one. And, of course, we know from scriptures that this instructs us about, you know, we are to learn how to do this rightly. I am by how Christ loves the church. You see how we are to order ourselves according to what we learn from God and what comes out of God through love and life. In salvation, you are made more fully and truly who you were created to be. When we don't know Christ, when we live in a way that is different than what God's Word says, we cannot function as we were created to be. The Spirit needs to give us life and take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. When we grow in godliness, we grow in unity with one another, but we don't lose our God-given individuality. Personal identity is tied to who we are in relationship with. In the Trinity, the Father is the Father because of His relationship with the Son. And the Son and the Spirit are who they are because of their relationship to the Father. I think we understand that, right? So how does that apply in our own lives? We too are who we are by virtue of our relationships. First, by our relationship with God the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. We readily accept this about the triune Godhead, right? We readily accept that. We know who we are because of Him. But we often neglect this teaching in our lives with other people. In some ways, we do define ourselves as husbands, wives, parents, children, and maybe even the organizations that we belong to, like the Marine Corps, the Air Force, or even the clubs, or what schools we went to. However, we often neglect that we are the body of Christ, that we are defined as one body of Christians, who by the sanctification of the Spirit are called to live in unity to the benefit of one another. When we do this, we are not losing our distinctive personhood or personality. Moreover, we must recognize that we are to live lives in relationship to one another. We are to look to our triune God's example. We are to be in a local church. We are one body 
made up of distinctive individuals called to be agents of sanctification to one another in God's glory. By virtue of being in relationship with each other, we both challenge each other's selfishness and bear one another's burdens. Now this is important for us to recognize for two reasons. Just in everyday life, and then also when we are facing difficulties, trials, and tribulations. Again, let me read this to you. By virtue of being in relationship with each other, we both challenge each other's selfishness and bear one another's burdens. Selfishness runs contrary to what we see in perfect love and mutual glorification of the Trinity. Selfishness drives us away from relationship with God and men. Now let's talk about this for just a second. What does this look like? How are we to sanctify each other? How is it that being in relationship with each other challenges our selfishness? You know, if, if, if you were ever single, which would be everyone in the room, right? And, you know, you were, you were getting ready to, you, you, God blessed you, and you found someone that's going to be your spouse, right? You know, you thought, perhaps, I'm not really that selfish, right? I care for people. I do things for people. I guarantee that when you get married, your selfishness is going to be challenged by God's good grace. By God's good grace, this is part of the method of sanctification, of helping you learn to not be selfish. And as our dear brother just pointed out, all of us are challenged in this way. Now, it's very interesting because God doesn't just leave us in that state. For many of you, the Lord, not too long after you got married, you started to figure things out. You got a routine. You got it all figured out. You figured out how to negotiate around things. And then God put, by his good providence, children in your lives. And if you thought for just a second that you, that you had your selfishness relatively under control and you were handling it well, right? You were beating that selfishness. Now, guess what? Now you have children and you're really going to recognize the selfishness and the battle within yourself and that you're going to need to lay down your life for others that others may live. Now, those are easy targets, but people of God, hear me out. Look around this room for just a second. There are people in this room who, can we tell the truth, sometimes get on your last nerve. Can we be truthful? Or perhaps, maybe they just irritated us a little bit. People of God... We are called to be sanctified by one another. I think it's a really good practice when you become offended or hurt. Ask this question, what scriptures can I use to justify my anger and impatience with that person? 
Look at what God's Word says. I'm going to tell you what, if you start with that first thing, that you know you need to be in right relationship with God, you're going to find yourself challenged here. You're going to find the fact that you are going to need to repent. To what end? So that you can help your brothers and sisters. And, and, and children, listen up. You have, you have little brothers and sisters. They get on your nerves. Dad, Mom, so, you know, my little brother's touching me. My sister's pulling my hair. Whatever it is. All these things. You are called to bear one another's burdens, to disciple and teach one another, to assist each other in kindness. Remember what it says. It says, those are of you who are spiritual should restore those who are in sin, right? But that word spiritual, sometimes we have this tendency, we put it up here as like some sort of ethereal thing out there, those who attain a certain spiritual life, right? They're the ones that should do it. The word there, spiritual, though, is better translated as mature. That is to say, are you a little bit farther along? Or, or maybe I should say, should you be a little bit farther along, right? A mature person turns and says, does it matter if I think I'm more righteous than they, I too am a sinner saved by grace. Let me humbly restore that brother, that child, that person in my family, that person in my church community, those, those people around me to Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say this again. Selfishness runs contrary to what we see in perfect love and mutual glorification in the Trinity. Selfishness drives us away from the relationship with God and our relationships with men. People of God, consider Proverbs 18, verse 1. Please listen to this. A man, a person who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. What does it mean to seek his own desire? To be selfish. Listen to what it says. It says, he rages. That is, he breaks out in contention against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Do not isolate yourself, people of God, unless you're providentially hindered. If you're sick, yes, don't be in the church building worshiping on Sunday. I'd even say, as long as you're not really sick, right? You know, if you got a little nose drip, come on. But, but what I'm saying to you is, if you're providentially hindered, you break down, your kids are sick, those kinds of things, yes. You know, that might be a time for a temporary respite from being in the house of God with all the other people. Other than that, people of God, be in church. You are called to be in the local body, to love one another. Don't say, I don't feel like being there with the rest of those sinners. Because that's all of us. Be in church. Listen, right now, we're grieving, we're hurting. Do not isolate yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Do not seek your own desire, but be submissive to God's word. Do not forsake assembling ourselves together. And that's not just for the day of worship. Because I know that we are reorienting. We sang these psalms today, and that reoriented ourselves in our grief. 
It told us how God is faithful during these things. We heard in Romans chapter 5 here today how to be encouraged and have hope and how these things are going to help us to draw near to God. I'm going to tell you as your pastor, whether it's myself or other people in this room, talk to one another this week, encourage one another this week. Don't isolate yourself. If you're having difficulties, get with your brothers and sisters. Talk with them. And you can't, you don't say, well, I don't know what the answer is. No, the Spirit of God knows. Remember this. We, 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 all through the sermon to, service today, you've heard about Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. He is making intercession for us right now, not just generally for all the church, but for this church, for you, for our families, for this community. He's making intercession for us. Maybe we don't have all the things sorted out. But yesterday, in, in yesterday's memorial service, we, we sang about how what God ordains is right. Let us lean in God. Let us trust God. Let us not isolate ourselves whatsoever. God uses relationships to sanctify us, to help us see our sin and selfishness, like marriage, parenting, family, and even here in the church, we see our sin when we are active in relationships with one another. God reveals our sins in this way that we might repent and be in right relationship with Him and one another. Light and life flows out of the triune God. In the Trinity, we know who God is and why the world was created and what God has created us for. There is great comfort and assurance to know that the loving triune God's providential plans are being unfolded before all our lives for the single purpose of His glory through relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this, and we'll end the sermon today with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you for one another and for your providential care. We thank you that you have in your wisdom brought us to Jesus Christ and to one another. Encourage us and make us an encouragement to one another that we may serve you with all our heart, mind, and being. Take our eyes off those things which are disheartening and troublesome. Give us grace to overcome and make us strong in you and in your word. In Christ's name, amen.